Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I analyze and argue horror over horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So today we are continuing our Ghosts of J-Horror theme with the 2002 film Dark Water, directed by Hideo Nakata, who also did the film Renu, which... You know, many of you know as the, <laughs> as the popular film that eventually became the Ring remake. You know, the thing that kind of kicked off our America's whole fascination with J-Horror in the first place. Um, but it was directed by Hideo Nakata, written by Nakata. Uh, I'm going to screw up all these names. T- Takashije Ichishi, uh, Yoshihiro Nakamura, and Koji Suzuki, uh, who also wrote the novel. And it's essentially about a woman who moves into a new apartment building in the middle of a divorce with her daughter, and, well, there discovers a creepy leak on her ceiling <laughs> that won't go away, and potentially a ghost <laughs> that is <laughs> that is haunting them in her watery ways. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so we we do spoil everything on this podcast, but before we get into spoilers, we have our usual kind of spoiler-free stuff, so... Uh, as far as releases go this week, there are a few really good ones that I can't wait for everybody to see coming out. Uh, first up is a film called Boys from County Hell, which is coming to Shudder on the 22nd. And this is basically, if I remember correctly, an Irish horror film. Uh, or, or it's set in Ireland, but uh, it follows basically a, a bunch of barflies who <laughs> who accidentally unleash an ancient vampire who has like no connection to Dracula or anything like that. In fact, I think it's used as like or, or referenced as uh, the vampire story that inspired Bram Stoker's Dracula or something like that. Uh, but it's a really cool movie. It has a unique sort of fresh take on vampires and kind of how they operate. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. There's some really great moments that'll have you laughing in it. Uh, you can check out my review on killerhorrorcritic.com. Uh, but yeah, no, this is one that I really dug that if you're in the vampires, you should absolutely seek out. <laughs> so, you know, we've got vampires on one side, and then there are also werewolves coming this week in a film called Bloodthirsty, which is on VOD on the 23rd. And again, these will all be out by the time you're listening to this. But uh, this one was reviewed by uh, Craig Ranallo for KillerHorrorCritic.com. So you can check out his review there. And you can also follow Craig on Twitter at Craigers. So that's C-R-A-I-G-G-O-R-S. But this one's basically... Kind of a, like, quieter, sort of slow-building kind of werewolf film about this uh, singer and songwriter who is looking to strike it big with their uh, sophomore album, and they end up getting recruited by this music producer who has an interest in their work, and he invites her and her girlfriend to come stay with him uh, for the weekend at his mansion while they, like, work (laughs) out the music, and without spoiling anything, long story short, uh, while all of this is going on, she is also finding herself giving in to bloodthirsty urges and is actually slowly becoming a werewolf <laughs> as this is happening. Uh, but it's a really cool film. It, it's, it's very unique in the werewolf genre. You know, there's not a lot of werewolf movies that are like this that are just like really kind of slow and character based. And Yeah, they're more uh, about the kills. Generally, yeah. And there is some good ones in this one, but... Uh, but it's more about that and less about the werewolf aspect, I guess you could say. It, you know, it kind of it's a film that talks a lot about the toxicity of the music industry and, and kind of like the predatory nature of it, you know. That's cool. Um, but there's some great music in it. Uh, it's actually, you know, it's one of those films where, like, it's not a musical, but there is enough music in it that you could say it starts to walk the line of that a bit, but in a good way. Like, a mm-hmm. lot of it's really moving uh, emotional tracks, but... Anyway, so this is one that I also really enjoyed. I 
completely agreed with Craig's review here. You know, he was for the most part sold on it. A couple little flaws of the film, but for the most part, it's really good. So lastly is, of course, a big one that we've all been waiting for what feels like forever for, which is Mortal Kombat coming to Fuck HBO yeah. Max on the 23rd. It just looks absolutely incredible. You know, this is basically a reboot of the franchise. and I'm so excited for this. The, the fight scenes look great. It's got all of the gore that, you know, should be in a Mortal Kombat movie. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the 90, I think it's 96 Mortal Kombat. The one from the 90s. I love that film. I actually think it's the best uh, video game adaptation that there is just because it's so fun and campy and just entertaining. Fair enough. But the one thing that it's missing is gore. And... <laughs> And it looks like this new one is going to have all of that that we've been asking for. I have not seen it yet myself, but everything I've heard about it from what people have seen just sounds amazing. I'm so excited. I'm ready for this. We've been watching Mortal Kombat movies all week in mm. preparation for this. So I I just want to watch Sub-Zero murder a whole bunch of people because I know my boy's not going to be in it. Ermac is never in the movies. You never know. Ermac could be in it for like a minute. But yeah, nobody really gives a fuck about Ermac. Um, I love him. <laughs> uh, but hey, you know, at least Sub-Zero gets a cool blood knife moment, right? So fuck yeah. I'm just hoping that my boy Scorpion gets, you know, their own cool moment that will be gift worthy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he will. He better. He's Scorpion. <laughs> Look, he got an amazing animated movie. He did. We watched Scorpion's Revenge, uh, which I think is also on HBO Max, yep. and it is incredible. It's basically the first movie with a few differences. You know, there's other characters added, like Quan Chi and whatnot. Uh, but it's basically the first movie, but more focused on Scorpion and with a ton of blood. Yeah, it's so <laughs> fucking good. Scorpion kills, like, 50 people in the first few minutes. It's pretty amazing. Yep. Um, but anyway, so those are our releases for, the, for this week, so definitely a lot for you to check out and sink your teeth into, you know? So something else we like to do on the show before we get into spoilers is kind of get uh, is put up a poll on Killer Critics every week on Twitter, uh, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and what you think of it overall. So with Dark Water between Love It, It's Fine, Don't Like It, and Never Seen It, where do you think the audience falls on this one? Look, last week everybody surprised me by having not seen One Missed Call by Takeshi Miike, so I'm going to go with Haven't Seen It. Yeah, you'd be correct. Oh. Um, <laughs> I won't, I won't go on my rant again about feeling old, you know, but... This is making me sad. But I, I'm definitely getting the impression that, at the very least, Twitter is not as well-versed on foreign films as I might have thought they were. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, Darkwater got 39.1% for Never Seen It, 30.4% uh, for Love It, 28.3% for It's Fine, and 2.2% for Don't Like It. So, hey, if that tells the never-seen-it-people anything, it's that most people really enjoy this movie, yeah. so you should go check it out. <laughs> I mean, just check out J-Horror in general. Yeah, no, you should definitely check out Darkwater. It is streaming on Prime, I believe. Uh, so if you haven't seen it, you can check it out there and definitely recommend doing that before we get into spoilers here. But uh, we also have a few comments on the film, uh, from, all from Twitter again. So at Shutterpoint3, so this is S-H-U-T-T-E-R-P-O-I-N-T, -T -T and then the number three says great amount of tension looks good visually deals not only with the horror of supernatural but the horror of a single parent being perceived as an unfit parent during a custody hearing yeah that's really what this movie is about it's much more a psychological horror of watching this mom kind of deal with all of this pressure and this movie really handles it really tragically beautifully they do a great job of of setting up how I don't know, just how depressing that would be. Yeah, no, I mean, the film does a great job of capturing just what that's like. You know, I can't speak from the perspective of the parent getting divorced, but, you know, my family did go through a divorce when I was a teenager, which I'm probably going to be talking a bit about throughout this episode, because it is, because <laughs> Darkwater is a lot about that element of life, right? Like, it's, it, it is a ghost story, but, you know... I. With with a film like Darkwater, I tend to think of uh, of some of the better writing advice out there, which, you know, th this is advice that you'll hear from all kinds of different writers, like it's not coming from anyone specifically, but it's this concept of, you know, think about it this way. So if you're, if you're a writer out there, look at Darkwater and think about it this way in the sense of an idea is this thought of, Oh, yeah, it's about a woman who moves into a building with her daughter and is haunted by a creepy water ghost, right? That's an idea. <laughs> the story, though, the most important part, the story 
is about her trying to, you know, trying to win custody of her daughter and not lose her in this divorce, right? Yeah. And it's about how she experienced divorce as a kid and 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 a relate and a awkward relationship with her mother to say the least and how she's afraid of the same thing happening with her daughter, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the story. So so the, the the writing advice is like, you know, ideas are great, but but an idea is just an idea. You you want a story to go with it, you know? So it's like you can pitch it's about this woman who moves into an apartment building and encounters a creepy water ghost, and that's great. But the story is what matters. Yeah. You know, so if you don't have a solid story, your idea is just that, just an idea. You know, so so always always think about the character elements going in with these things. But anyway, so no, so I completely agree with Shutter Point here. It's it it is a great film with a good amount of tension. It does look good visually. It's very well shot, and it is just a very emotional, uh, haunting ghost yeah. story that that I can't wait to get more into here. So, uh, so thank you, Shutter Point, for the comment. Really appreciate it. And lastly, is a comment from at Nitz Rami. So it's N I T Z O R M Y. And they say, never saw the remake. There is a remake out there with Jennifer Connelly. Uh, They say, never saw the remake, but saw this version, and it really creeped me out. Not anything particular, but more of an overall feel to the film. Yeah, for me, weirdly, with a lot of these J-horror films, I saw the remakes first, and then I saw the Japanese versions later. So that was the case for me with Dark Water. I'd seen the American remake, which I barely remember at this point, but the J-horror is so much better. I feel like the J-horror, like, the Japanese version is so much more emotional and creepy and really gets to you. And that's mm. what I really enjoy about this film is is the heart of it, um, which just makes me sad every time. Yeah, so I won't get into the, you know, the, the creepy element of J-horror because we talked a lot about that already but <laughs> this month. But, um, but no, I will say, you know, in specifics to Hideo Nakata, you know, if you watch Renu, like, you can see the uh, the the kind of masterful skill that Hideo has for creating just kind of like atmosphere and and you know these visuals that kind of get under your skin you know cuz it's the, the thing with dark water is that i wouldn't say outside of maybe one or two instances i wouldn't say that there is you know really frightening moments it's mm-hmm. more of a build up of just tension and atmosphere because you know from the moment that you get to this building everything feels off like the thing I like you know I almost envision the building as a character itself in this movie because it sort of strikes a similar chord to you know something like Dracula's castle or some kind of gothic setting like that where it's this place where the the moment you see it from the outside there's something wrong with it it Mm -hmm. feels it feels different it feels like it has this kind of gothic sort of ominous vibe to it right and it's just an apartment building but then you get in it and just everywhere feels kind of run down and decrepit and there's water spots everywhere. And like, you know, it just, it it does such a good job of setting the tone all throughout that, that like Nitsrami says here, it's not necessarily anything in particular, just all throughout Mm -hmm. Hideo's kind of running this, you know, tension line (laughs) (laughs) that just is slowly getting more and more under your skin as the film goes on. Right. So Uh, I know for me, I'm never looking at water spots and ceilings the same way again. Well, you can't, you know, because no. you know that you're obviously <laughs> inevitably going to be destroyed by a water ghost. Yeah, there's a ghost up there. <laughs> it's clearly a water ghost and nothing else. <laughs> but anyway, so thank you, Nitsarami, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, so next, before we get into spoilers, we also like to do a tagline versus the film, kind of get our thoughts on the tagline of the film overall. Now, with Dark Water, I couldn't really find a tagline outside of, you know, something along the lines of, from the creator of Renew, you know, so so we're not going to talk about that. So just what what overall do you think of Dark Water? Look, Dark Water is definitely up there for for the J horror for me, and for me, it's because I think that it's one of the more emotional J horror stories. I have a tendency to lean towards the more ridiculous, just in general. That's why you know movies like Versus or Sadako versus Kayako are usually high on my list. Mm. But Darkwater does such a good job of really endearing you to the characters so you really see what they're going through. And it's one of those rare horror films that like really breaks my heart with the ending. And I think that that can be really tough to do well in horror, and it does such a phenomenal job with that. Yeah, well, so I, I will actually argue I don't think it's hard to do it with horror at all. I just, <laughs> I just think that, well, I shouldn't say not hard to do at all because obviously... 
getting in touch with an audience that way mm. is is difficult, you know. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not taking away from that, but but I don't think that I don't think the horror genre specifically has a more difficult time with it than others. I just think that filmmakers in the horror genre tend to not focus on that as much. Yeah. You know, but you know, Dark Water is that kind of film. It's it's one that I'm not going to crave watching all the time. It's not one that. You know, we just watched it twice. I don't feel like watching it again anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, we can take a break for a bit. You know, it's not one of those kinds of movies, but it is a really good film because every time I do watch it, I cry. Like yep. it <laughs> every single time. It's it's an emotional movie and it really gets to you. It's a great story. So while I can't necessarily emphatically say that I love it, you know, and I, it's a, like a desert island movie or something like that, it is one that I think is a great J horror film. And it's one of the few J horror films I know of that that really just you know, it touches you emotionally that way. Yeah. So, so anyway, no, so it's a great movie. So we're going to get into spoilers now in a second after a break. So again, if you haven't seen it, go check it out on Prime. I do believe it's streaming there. Otherwise, we will see you in a moment. If you've been enjoying Killer Horror Critic, please make sure to head to iTunes and leave a review and rating as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me. Also, make sure to check out my Patreon where you can receive access to exclusive content such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. All right, and we're back here talking about the 2002 film Dark Water from uh, director Hideo Nakata, who, of course, the film Renew, which is amazing, and which we'll be talking about next week. But on Dark Water this week, you know, there's... There, there's not as many characters in this movie. We're, we have kind of a limited cast. So who, who stood out to you in Dark Water? Who do you want to talk about? Uh, so I really want to talk about the little girl, Ikuko Matsuba, who's played by Ryo Kano. You know, I feel like with these ghost movies, you usually have like a small child character that kind of like makes the connection with the ghost. And that's kind of the in, right? And what I really like about Ikuko is that even though she... Might- oh, and we are about to spoil everything, oh, yeah. too. I keep forgetting that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to spoil so much shit right now. Yep. Even though, like, she might be talking to the ghost, she's not the main thing with it. Like, the mom, the mom's the one who makes the, the first connection with the ghost. Mm. And so what I think is interesting about Ikuko is that a lot of the times in these horror films... With these kid kid characters, we're watching them like deal with the ghost and being haunted. I honestly don't think in this movie that she is at all. Like, I don't think that she's connected to the ghost until like the very very end. I think she's just a normal kid. Um, because like, look, she's like six years old. Like, mm-hmm. Matt's just like, okay, explain. Well, because I. Because she still has lots of encounters with the ghost, so I don't but really know what you she? mean. I mean, so she she has one big encounter where, like, she's playing hide-and-go-seek at the kindergarten, and then we see the feet. Okay. But, yeah, which is halfway through the movie, not the end. <laughs> okay, but, like, you know, bear with me. A lot of the times with the kid characters, like, it's all throughout the movie. I mean, look, I get what you're saying. It's not about her. Yes. Is what you're getting at. Like, yep. it's not, like, a lot of times, yes, a lot of times in haunting films that involve a kid, the kid is the one that's the primary conductor for the ghost. You know, yeah. you see it. You see that in uh, in the Conjuring. It's it's the kids mm-hmm. that are interacting with the ghost the, mo- the most, right? Like the youngest girl has the the little music box that yeah. she's playing with the ghost in the mirror with, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily the case with Akigo. Like she she has a, a, an odd connection with the ghost in the sense that you know she uh, she is encountering her presence she's being kind of drawn to her uh mm. whether it's through like the purse that she left or you know talking about her in the bath or whatever i just like, think she, the, i think the bathing is just normal kid stuff she's six six-year-olds talk to themselves it it could be <laughs> but it's there for a reason and and i would just say like I don't think it's kid stuff if she's encountering the ghost at other times, you know, like there, there'd be an argument to be made there. If, if we never saw her encounter the ghost then it could kind of be like, is she or isn't she? But, but I do think that that has something to do with the ghost. I, to your point though, it's not, she is not the main conductor. It is Yoshimi mm-hmm. uh, played by Hitomi Kuroki, who is the one that's encountering the ghost all throughout. So it's not, 
it's less about Akiko and more about her, which is kind of a rare thing in these movies that involve, like, a, a parent and a kid. Right? I also have to give it up to this small child because, like, this six-year-old is so ready to throw down with that ghost for her mom. Like, she runs up, like, in the end scene, she runs up all those stairs to, like, confront the ghost and be like, fuck you, give me back my mom. And then she just gets hit with a shining, like, tidal wave of water. Yeah, that end scene's so tragic. Because, like, the, the music there's perfect. Her running up the stairs and, and just being all emotional, like, really gets, oh. you know, like, this little girl just trying desperately to save she her mom. She just wants her mom! And then, and then it just, like... It, I, I I almost feel like there's an unnecessary bit of cruelty in the fact that the elevator doors open up and all this water just comes up to be like, fuck you, you know, and just knock her over. Like, But but I think it creates such a good emotional visual of her lying in the water right? crying that, that it works, you know? It just breaks but, your heart every time. Yeah, but but in terms of like what the director's actually putting her through, it's just like, oh my God, how are you doing this to this little girl? <laughs> right, and then like... I think it's interesting that we choose the director chose to have us encounter the character 10 years later. Like normally we would just have ended at that like waterfall scene. Right. And so like for us to go back 10 years later and have one final confrontation and like be able to give that character closure kind of like with her mom. I thought that that was a really different take that we normally get. Because normally you don't get closure. You know, whoever gets taken just gets taken and you never see them again. Mm. Um, so I think it's cool that, like, you know, Ikuko actually gets that chance to, like, kind of have one last closure moment with her mom. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, I, I would still disagree with that. I still, <laughs> <laughs> I, I still think that uh, any movie where someone's taken, there's an end moment with them again. But <laughs> moving on from that, um, <laughs> so who I, who I just briefly wanted to talk about was the apartment manager, Kamiya, played by Asao Yatsu. And this is... Primarily just because I like the sort of non-existent universe that Chris and I have created for him. <laughs> where so, so for those of you that don't know or haven't seen Jew on the Grudge, uh, he also appears in that film as like this kind of has lost his mind old man who's in a home now and he's playing peekaboo with a ghost at some point, right? Yep. And I just like to imagine that his experience uh, in Darkwater... <laughs> led him to lose his goddamn mind and end up in Jew on the Grudge in this home playing peekaboo with ghosts. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say fuck that dude because he was a terrible apartment manager. Well, look, fuck him. I mean, yeah, aside from the universe point, you know, I actually do have something, like, meaningful to say here, which is that, which is that, you know, I think this character kind of perfectly represents a major theme of the movie, which is this idea of, frankly, just, ignoring women right like yep. just just such a common horror theme uh <laughs> in so many movies but but you know the dark water dark water specifically is really focused on you know really focused on this theme of the fact that society and and as we're seeing in particular with japan just you know really just ignores women or yep. or you know puts so much pressure on them of like you got to be perfect, otherwise there are consequences, you know. And, and and you see it just all throughout with him, like, you know, just just from the very beginning. I mean, he's he's refusing to help her at all, you know. Yep. Like she like she's mentioning that she's got the leak in her apartment. He completely ignores it, right? Um, he straight up is just like, yeah, I'm not fucking doing shit about that. Right? Yeah. No. I mean, he's like the worst apartment manager incarnate, where it's just like. <laughs> You know, you got this woman just, like, practically screaming about this fucking leak in her apartment that is destroying... I mean, who... Like, what apartment manager ignores the fact that you have, like, a whole puddle full of water just constantly leaking from your ceiling, right? You know? So, so he, he's ignoring this and, 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 you know, and basically ignoring her as a woman, like, just kind of, like... You know, almost like he's treating her like he's like she's hysterical all the time, right? Yeah. And then there's and then there's a particular like nerdy moment that I pulled out where <laughs> later in the film you have you have her up on the roof with the apartment manager and her lawyer, and they're like finally starting to at least believe that there was a leak, right? Like because yeah. they find the apartment and it's all flooded and everything above her. Uh, and they go up to this roof where she say that she saw the ghost, 
and while you're up there you, you have a you have a shot that is from the perspective on top of the water tank for the building and it and the way that it's looking at the characters is you have kind of two bars that are separating Yoshimi from uh from the lawyer and the apartment manager you know so mm-hmm. it's almost like so it's not, because in the moment the two of them are still kind of disbelieving her like they're yep. still trying to write it off as coincidence of like oh maybe kids are messing with you or you know something like that and it's just it's just a really cool shot that nerds <laughs> like me notice where <laughs> where it's just showing you like how Yoshimi whether it's as a woman or whatever is mm. is just separated from the men in this world you know yeah. like like it's their opinion versus hers in a way <laughs> yeah because they don't do anything about you know the leak or the dripping or anything that she's complaining about they don't do anything until her lawyer gets involved who's a dude right like until he starts demanding shit like they are both the apartment manager and like the dude who originally showed her their apartment are more than happy to wash their hands of the situation and just let her live in this shitty apartment yeah. No, so he was definitely fired and went to go oh. go on to be haunted by ghosts and Juwan. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so this film is kind of talking a lot about women and motherhood in particular with this movie. So what to you, what kind of stands out about Dark Water and what it's saying about motherhood? I think Dark Water is doing a really good job of putting a spotlight on the ridiculous standards that women are expected to uphold. You know, because, look, she's trying to get custody of of her kid and she needs to take her kid to kindergarten. She's got to work a full-time job, make the meals, do all of this stuff, and she's expected to stay perfect. And she's not allowed to get any kind of, like, psychiatric help. Nothing. There's this expectation from all the dudes in the movie um, for her to be this perfect mom figure, which is ridiculous. Mm. No one can uphold that. Like, and I think that Darkwater does a really good job of showing how it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure to like have to be on that pedestal, and nobody can do it. No yeah. human can do it. And well, well, it's a standard women are upheld to that like dudes aren't. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been that way forever, too, right? Like, it's yeah. not... <laughs> it's not new. It, it's not It's not by any means new. And, I mean, you know, it, it, it's been like that since the dawn of time, for all we know. I mean, it's always been the case of, you know, the, the women stay home and take care of the children, and the man goes out and does whatever the fuck, right? <laughs> now, now, obviously, whatever the fuck has, in history, primarily been like, oh, they, they hunt and provide or whatever, but... Mm. But, you know, but but women are the ones that are constantly having the pressure on them to, like, raise our next generation, right? You know, it's like, it's bad enough you got to go <laughs> through fucking nine months of <laughs> carrying a baby in your womb right? that, that then you got to spit it out of your vajayjay and now you've got to <laughs> fucking, you know, prime it for the world for the next 20 years or so. But but to me, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's touching everything you just said where it's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if this is particular to Japanese culture or not. I mean, you see similarities here in America too where – you know, women are really held up to a different standard where it's like, you cannot fuck up, you know? Nope. Like, you're, like the smallest mistake is reason to disbelieve you or not trust you or fire you or whatever, you know? Whereas, I mean, I've watched men all throughout my career, like, basically fuck up their way right to the top, <laughs> you know? Just like every, every fucking mistake they make just seems like another reason for them to get promoted. Like, yeah. <laughs> You know, meanwhile, meanwhile, I've watched uh, like I, I've been in plenty of jobs where where, you know, women complain about uh, someone harassing them or mm-hmm. something like that. And, and I've watched with my own eyes HR just be like, I, I think you're overreacting, you know, yep. or, or, or put that or put that kind of label on it. And and, you know, Dark Water just captures that so well, because here's this mother who, you know, has a history of, uh, you know, of having, you know, issues mentally. Like, she mm-hmm. obviously has some kind of history there uh, that's talked about in the beginning. But I think she also mentions it's, like, 15, maybe even 20 years ago or something. Yeah, it was a and, long time ago. Right, and and yet this one little spot on her record is reason for the lawyers to think that she's not a good mother, whereas the father doesn't even remember the fucking girl's birthday, right? Right. (laughs) Like, that's a thing that, like, drives me nuts in this film. Like, I hate all the dudes in this film. I really kind of want them all to die, and I specifically want to kick through the television and punch the ex-husband in the face. Who doesn't? (laughs) Right. Um, But it is that ridiculous standard of, you know, the she's not only expected to raise the kid, but also take care of all the household stuff. And on top of that, 
she ended up in the situation that happens a lot over in Japan where she quit her job. She quit her high paying, you know, career where she was proofreading for, you know, a high rated publishing company mm. to become a housewife. And now with the divorce, she's having to go out into the world again to like has to get a career now, has to like find a home, has to get all of this set up. And these like the divorce counselors being really fucking intense about like, well, why don't you have all this shit together yet? It's just like, <laughs> motherfucker, like. Right. How, how are you not a perfect functioning adult? <laughs> right. And like her one bit that like that they're bringing up about her mental instability was one moment that she took to take self-care. Because mm. she was in a toxic situation. She recognized that it wasn't good for herself. So she did the responsible thing. Uh, in, in Japan, especially, I feel like mental illness is kind of oh, yeah. very much looked over. So. Yeah. Well, and this, I feel like with this film, it's also showcasing how the world really isn't built for single parents. Yeah. Because look, I mean, all of us remember, like, when I would get out of kindergarten, and kindergarten was like a half day. Like, you're done at, like, noon or 1 o'clock. Like, if you're a single parent, you're working. What the fuck are you going to do with that kid? Well, so, so look, I, I'm glad you bring this up because that touches on another element of motherhood with this, which is, you know, all of Yoshimi's issues draw back to her own mother and when she was a kid, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because, like, the film opens with her at what I think is the same daycare center, or at least a very similar one, mm -hmm. being abandoned... Well, not being abandoned, necessarily, but... No, she was. Well, okay, fine. I, I just... I don't want to put too much, like, on it's the mother's fault, right? Yeah. But, you know... But, but, but yeah, she's basically abandoned by her mother and not picked up, and it's like her dad's gonna come to get her, and he's late and whatever. And... It, that touches on one element of motherhood where it's like it always feels like it's the mother's job to to go pick up the kid from school. Like yep. it's in movies, in my own life, like my mom was always the one that picked me up too. It was almost mm. never my dad. And when it was my dad, he was late, you know, <laughs> and I know it's the same for you. Like there was yep. one time your dad was supposed to pick you up and didn't get you for hours. And like <laughs> my dad was a house husband and he still forgot me. <laughs> right. Like his so, only job was to come get me. <laughs> right. So it's like, so it's like not only is it, is it put upon the mother for the job to be to, you know, take care of the kid and go pick him up from school and everything. Mm -hmm. But, but it's like, whenever we see it, you know, given to the male or the father, they fuck up. <laughs> now I'm not now for any fathers listening. I'm not saying that that automatically makes you a fuck up. We're not saying that here, but, but in movies, it's often portrayed as that. Right. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's just to highlight the fact that there's so much pressure on the mother to be perfect, mm -hmm. you know, because basically the mother you know, the mother not picking her up and, and fucking up in that instance, that that is the that's the kind of like the establishing point for everything that happens in Dark Water. Yeah. You know, because of that mom's one mistake, mm -hmm. uh, Yoshimi is like fucked up for life. And, you know, and 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 it's what we're dealing with in this movie. And so it's just it's just really highlighting like how much pressure there is to be perfect. Otherwise, things like this you know, could happen. So yeah. we also get that with the ghost, the ghost also on, um, let's see, Mitsuko Kawai is the girl who's the ghost. She's played by Maria Gucci. But her story also is the fact that her mom wasn't present and didn't come pick her up. And that resulted in her death. And that's such a heavy storyline to like have in this film. Hey, we're getting a lot of shit with, with the moms being held up to these these pedestals. And I feel like the place that we're seeing it most is in the divorce hearing. So I kind of want to know what your feelings are about how divorce is represented in the film. You know, let's just say this. So so for these for those of you that don't know, maybe you're a new listener or haven't heard me talk about it before, but uh, my parents did divorce when I was a teenager. And it's, you know, I, I will be honest and say it's had ripple effects between me and my sister throughout our entire life ever since. You know, like I'm... Yeah. I'm in my 30s now, and, like, I can tell you it still affects me. I still have, you know, it, they have lessened, as <laughs> I think Chris would attest to. But uh, but when Chris and I first met, you know, I, I had trust issues, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I I still kind of refuse to have kids. And, and part of that is because I feel like I would just destroy the kids' future, you oh. know? <laughs> well, I, I know it's depressing, but it's like, it's what divorce makes you feel like, because yeah. divorce... Divorce sends such a, a, a ripple through the family and the friends of the family and relatives that, you know, it does it feels so destructive. And like it does, you know, unfortunately affect the kids who grow up with it. Of like, course. 
You know, it's it's hard not to. I mean, because you're you know you're you're watching the lead up to it, which is usually your parents fighting a lot, which is which is not exactly healthy for kids to go through, right? Nope. Uh, and then you're watching the after effects, and like every you know every divorced couple is gonna handle it differently. Uh, my parents handled it terribly. No offense to them, you know. Like my, <laughs> like like I mean, my my dad for a brief time like lost his goddamn mind and was like driving by our house all the time, right? And like Jeez. my and my mom, you know, like moved our moved her boyfriend in like a month after my dad moved out. Like just all kinds of crap, right? Yeah. And so so it affects you. And so like I I had my effects with trust and everything. My sister had kind of an opposite effect where she like will refuse to give up family no matter how toxic of a relationship she's in. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she finally got out of something with uh, the father of her kid after years of putting up with him, right? So yeah. so it has. It's affected us. And you know, so Dark Water, it's it to me the films kind of just like one great big commentary on divorce and and how that affects children throughout their life you know so so when you look at Yoshimi you know initially it feels like it's about the abandonment of her mother Mm -hmm. but in another sense I think you kind of relate that to divorce because I get the impression that her parents probably did divorce yeah and, and maybe it was the mother's decision right but but the two are the two are directly related, you know, because divorce is still an abandonment by one parent in a sense. At least that's how kids feel. Mm-hmm. You know, kids kids don't understand the the intricacies that go into divorce. They don't understand the reasoning. They don't understand, you know, the the concept of parents falling out of love with each other and stuff like that. So to a kid, it, it's usually the fault of a parent who is the one making the decision, right? Yeah. So so you could. You could maybe theorize that Yoshimi's mother in this movie was the one to maybe break it off, right? Or, mm-hmm. or the one to kind of abandon the family. And now you see how it's affected uh, Yoshimi in her own life, you know, to the point where she doesn't feel like she can be what her daughter needs her to be, you know? Yeah. Because cause she went through, like, what what happened with her mother has affected her so traumatically that she now is kind of scarred in a sense where she also feels like she has to be perfect mm-hmm. otherwise she's not good enough yeah you know because because that that opening scene where she is waiting for her mother who's not coming you know that that's put there because that's a scene that we get the understanding of that yoshimi has probably thought of daily <laughs> yeah since it happened right and because of that it's left this impression on her of she can never do anything like that to her daughter or or it's all over right yeah yeah i feel like we constantly see you know her doubting herself and her doubting her skills like for me the biggest moment there's two kind of moments for me one is um when the daughter gets sick and um you know uh yoshimi's aunt is watching over her and the two of them have a really short conversation in the kitchen where the aunt is really trying to like tell yoshimi that she's done a good job she's a much better mother than her mother was to try to like kind of pump her up and yoshimi doesn't seem to completely buy it and then Mm. right after that we have a moment that's when the lawyer comes and he helps them deal with you know getting the apartment fixed up and she has a moment where she's talking with him in the kitchen where she's thanking him for helping her and admits that she just feels so helpless and that moment breaks my heart every time because i want to jump through the screen and be like no fuck you you're not helpless this woman is getting away from a dude who's a complete tool bag like fuck that guy mm. um she's gotten a job she's gotten her kid into kindergarten like she's yeah, she's a super mom exactly like she's working so hard and she's trying really hard to like be there for her daughter make sure that they have good memories and do all this stuff and it breaks my heart that she still feels helpless she still feels like somebody else has to put her together like like no you don't fucking need that lawyer you only need that lawyer because everybody else in this movie is fucking sexist assholes who won't listen to you but like Mm. she's got this and i i feel i agree with you i think that it really has broken a part of her um that she's not certain if she can fix yeah well it's it's pretty cool like how it's represented through the movie too because you know going back to the apartment building like i I feel like the apartment building itself is representative of Yoshimi and her family. Mm-hmm. Um, How beca- so? Well, because, you know, when we meet Yoshimi, 
you know, here is this parent that is going through divorce and going through the the crumbling of their family, right? Mm. So when you get to this apartment building, I mean, it, to me, that's just representative of Yoshimi's kind of, you know, mental standing at the time because here's this here's this place that maybe was once, you know, beautiful and bright and happy and now we're kind of meeting her where she's a little bit more run down and you know there's kind of like this this sort of just broken feeling to her right Mm -hmm. and and that's what this building is i mean this building is this place that was you know probably once beautiful but is now kind of run down and and you know exhausted and and and, you know kind of crumbling on the inside right you know and that's and that's who she is like she is as much as she puts on a face of, of trying to be this super positive good parent and she is she mm-hmm. is a good parent but it's like as much as she's trying to put on that face on the inside she's crumbling you know yeah. she is she she is struggling badly yeah <laughs> and, and so and so the building represents that you know the building is that like mm-hmm. obviously you know there's the whole water and ghost thing which we'll get into in a second but but for the most part like that building is yoshimi she is the building you know she is this and, and and it's representative of her family, this family that has that has been broken and is crumbling and is, you know is being held together by you know by by old rafters and yeah. shit like that, right? <laughs> like it's you know it's all about that. And and again, like as a child of divorce, that's what it feels like. You know, you at the time that it's happening, and for a few years probably down the line, that's what it feels like. It feels like a broken family. Like even if you're all. You know, even if you all stay connected and, and even if you're, you know, even if the parents, uh, this is what you hope for, but even if the parents have a decent relationship afterwards, it still feels broken. Like, you're no longer complete, you know? Yeah. And and that sucks. And, and that's a lot of pressure to be put on parents. And, you know, for any divorced parents listening, I feel for you. Like, it's a really tough feeling, I would imagine, to go through that. Like, yeah. I know what it was like as a kid. I can only imagine what it's like as a parent to have to make the decision of, you know, splitting up the family essentially, right? Yeah. And it's why it's why we have moments, um last thing I'll say about the divorce element. It's it's why we have moments like when I- Ikuko Iku Ikuko? <laughs> I don't know how to say it. It's when you have moments yep. like 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 when she is walking home with Yoshimi after Yoshimi like steals her from the father because he's <laughs> because he's picking her up from school because she was late. And you know, it's after moments like that where uh, where Akiko is, they're walking down the street and they see this family playing with fireworks and Yoshimi catches how she's looking at the family playing with fireworks and it, she seems to have this thought in her head of like, oh, Akiko wants some fireworks. Like, she's mm-hmm. curious about the fireworks, you know, so she so she goes and buys some for them. But the reality is there, Akiko doesn't give a fuck about the fireworks. <laughs> she's watching this family together having a fun time together and yeah. that's what she's thinking about the, the fireworks don't matter i mean they they could have all been playing with fucking baby diapers you know <laughs> it's it's the fact that <laughs> it's the fact that it's this family together doing something and having fun together that she's yearning for right yeah you know so i, I mean that's part of the sadness of it is like you know parents in divorce you know they you do want to do whatever you can for the kid but but we also it it's really tough to read a six-year-old's mind and, like, know how they're processing these things, right? Yeah. And and understand, like, how much they understand. So, you know, so speaking of the water and the rain in this movie, like, to you, what is the significance of that with the connection to the ghost? Like, why why is water, other than the fact that that's how the ghosts <laughs> drown, like, why is water so important to this movie? <laughs> I feel like water, and specifically rain, is a really good representation for the overwhelming feeling that, that Yoshimi is feeling throughout this film. Like, that's, that's my takeaway with it, because, look, 90% of this film, it's raining. Like, that, that's just a constant throughout this film. And I really associate it with, you know, the mom just feeling so overwhelmed and so under pressure by everything, by trying to be a good mom, by going through this divorce, by trying to take care of her daughter and make sure everything is perfect and fine. And shit just keeps raining down on her. Like, bitch cannot catch a break. Bitch cannot catch a break. (laughs) She can't. She goes in for a job interview and the fucking asshole, like, takes 12 hours. Now, to be fair, I would say she catches a little bit of a break because she still gets that job even though she walks out. (laughs) She does. She does still get that job. But she 
the unprofessionalism that she had to go through to get that job like I feel like adds to it the fact that they can only afford the place that they're in everything I feel like is just raining down and being the pressure that's on this mom that's why like we only have like a couple of really like sunshine moments and they're the really rare moments when she feels like she maybe has everything under control Every once in a while, she feels like she's got her shit together, like she's got her job, they have a home, everything seems to be going well, she's got this. And then the kid gets sick because the ghost wants to play hide-and-go-seek, and it all starts raining again. Yeah, so I mean, that, that's pretty much that on, like, you know, this... I got it for once. <laughs> you got it for once. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's that's it exactly, like, it's... You know, basically, Yoshimi is suffocating from the weight of the world in this movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. she she's suffocating from, you know, the divorce, the way that the counselors are putting all this pressure on her to keep her daughter. She She's suffocating from trying to be the mother that her mom never was. She's trying to be a good mother for her kid. She's worried about her daughter and, and what the divorce is doing, right? She's She's trying to get this job. She's trying to support them. She She is being beaten up by the world over and over again. Yeah. And, and and for anyone that's ever, you know, felt that way or experienced that, like I know I certainly have, like it is, it's a suffocating feeling. Like you, you almost feel like you can't breathe in a sense, right? So what better to represent that than water to kind of, you know, sort of show that feeling of like how she's basically constantly drowning, right? Yeah. You know, it's like she's, it's like she's drowning through the whole film and trying to come up for air to have these brief moments of happiness because that that is what's happening through the film so like if you really watch closely to when it's raining when the water's coming through and when it's sunshine and rainbows they do correlate to the events going on in the film where you know so like when we first meet him and and she's coming out of the divorce meeting right it's fucking pouring out like it's raining pretty damn hard right Mm mm-hmm and then we get a brief moment of sunshine, like once they're in the building and things are happy for a moment. But then, you know, but then she's taking her daughter to school and kind of getting ready with those pressures. And now we see the leak in the ceiling for the first time, you know. And, and to me, that's kind of representative of like the the stress of her daughter going to school is creeping in. Mm-hmm. You know, the stress of not wanting to screw up like her mom did is creeping in. Yep. And and. It, it feels like the more, the longer the film goes on, the more that that water stain is growing because the stress in Yoshimi's life is growing. Yeah. You know, the it's getting harder and harder for her throughout the movie. And as that's happening, the leak is getting larger and larger, you know. So, I mean, to me, the leak almost has nothing to do with the ghost itself. And it's really just, you know, representative of like how how as hard as she's trying there's a leak coming through there's there's this wet dark spot (laughs) in in her soul that is growing because as hard as she tries she just cannot overcome like the you know her, her own traumas that are kind of affecting how she does things in daily life right yeah well and that's a thing for me with this film it's It's a ghost movie. It's supposed to be a ghost movie, but we deal so little with the ghost as opposed to the water and this representation of, you know, drowning and being overwhelmed. So I'm curious what your thoughts about her choice to go with the ghost at the end. Well, I mean, my initial thought is it's fucking sad as hell. (laughs) Right? I cry every time. I I cry every time. You know, so my... So, okay, so here's where one of my Matt theories works in this movie, right? So... (laughs) I fucking love Matt theories. So, I have now. Now, granted, I'm going to preface this with: I doubt that this is what the movie actually is, but I think that one fun way to read it is that, first of all, I I, th- I think this one's a little more understandable and potentially obvious. But first of all, I, to me, Yoshimi and the ghost Matsuko are one and the same. To to me, they're the same character okay. because so like you know essentially they're not different really because no because mitsuko is another girl who was abandoned by her parents and wasn't picked up from school mm-hmm. and walked home and ended up drowning because she has no adult supervision and no one around to really take care of her right 
and, and we also kind of get the fat or get the understanding that her mom was also kind of not great, right? Yeah. So, so to me, they're one and the same in that sense, in that they are just these lonely characters who have felt abandonment and are doing whatever is necessary to not experience that or pass that on, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so like in Yoshimi's case, she's doing whatever she can to be a good parent for her daughter and not abandon her. And in a in a way for herself, it's also she does not also want to be abandoned. She she needs somebody in her life, right? Yeah. And and it's the same for the ghost. Like Mitsuko, you know, coming for uh Ikiko's mom, like you, her coming for her is it's not as evil as, you know, as a horror film might make you think. Like, it's actually, you know, it's really just this little girl who's lonely and she, just frankly needs company. She just wants and, her mom. Right. She just wants a mother. She mm-hmm. she just wants someone to be there for her, which is the exact same thing that Yoshimi always wanted. She just mm-hmm. wanted someone to be there for her and take care of her, right? And then you also look at, like, okay, Mitsuko drowned in this water tank, and it's kind of like... The, the place that she drowned in is the same feeling that Yoshimi is ostensibly going through throughout the whole film. You know, she feels like she's practically trapped in this water tank, drowning throughout the entire time. So what I'm kind of getting at is that they're not just similar characters to me. I, I think that there's a very, very slight possibility <laughs> <laughs> that this entire movie is, in a sense, kind of like a, a, a protracted prediction of Yoshimi's life in her own mind. So why I say that is that is that this movie starts off with uh this flashback to Yoshimi's past where it's raining, her mother has abandoned her mm-hmm. and and she's obviously very sad about it, right? So and then we cut to she is an adult and looking out a window that's raining and now she's imagining, like, being in this divorce with, you know, whatever. Um, so I think a way to look at it is, like, you can almost sort of view this movie as her being that kid in the beginning who is imagining what their life might be like uh, if they were like their mother. You know, so so it's like they're... So it's almost kind of like she she's imagining this life of if she were to become like her mom, mm-hmm. where now she is, you know, she. It's hard to explain because I'm not a psychologist, but it's like imagine imagine it this way, where, you know, something happens to you and you think I never want that to happen to my kids, right? Yeah. You know, so imagine it that way. She she's sitting here waiting for her mom to pick her up, and she's thinking you know, how she never wants to be a mother like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she, and so it's like you can imagine if you look at this film, you know, what do we really have here? We have this woman who is is doing everything she can to avoid becoming her mother. Yeah. You know, to 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 take care of her daughter the way that she needs to. And uh, and I hope I'm making sense here, but but she's doing this. And at the same time, you know, like she's this little girl and it's raining all around and mm-hmm. there's just water present throughout this entire movie, mm-hmm. al- almost to the point of like being fantastical in a sense, right? Where it's like, it doesn't fucking rain that much, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so you can almost imagine that like in her mind, the the rain from the outside world is working its way into her yeah, imagination. Of course. So, so what I'm trying to say here, like, because I know it's not making complete sense, is like, don't look at this entire movie as step by step. That's exactly what she's imagining as a little girl. Mm-hmm. But but look at it more just like in a general way. It's kind of like like this whole story is kind of like a metaphor for what she is experiencing as a child in the moment that she is waiting to be picked up by her mother and it's raining out okay. and, and feeling abandoned. Right. I think I'm following that. Like, like basically, it, another way to look at it is that the the Mitsuko, the ghost in the story, is mm-hmm. like her soul. Mm-hmm. You know, picture it that way. It's like her soul. It's like this. It's like this part of her that will not let her overcome the trauma that she's experienced. Like it's this. It's this nasty little part of her that she just can't let go of, and that's kind of like the ultimate downfall of Yoshimi as a character is that mm-hmm. she just cannot move on from the trauma that she experienced you know so so to answer the question like to me her choosing to go with the ghost it's less of a choice and more of like you know more of like an inevitability in a sense because Mm -hmm. because throughout the film like again no matter what she does the world is just kind of beating her up yeah and 
and her being unable to kind of overcome what happened to her you know it just sort of leads to this is the decision she feels like she has to make like mm-hmm. i don't know if there's really a a choice to be made here she just feels like she has to do it because at this point in the movie she feels i think she feels like she will never be the mother that she needs to be for uh ikuko mm-hmm. now whether or not she's right about that doesn't matter it, in her mind that's how she feels and so going with this ghost is really kind of in a sense like her being taken by this part of her that she just can't let go of yeah so in this the ghost is basically the shitty voice in her in her head going you're never going to be a good mom yeah basically it's yeah it's that subconscious part of you that that is constantly telling you you're not good enough right Mm -hmm. i mean that makes sense especially considering the fact that you know both the younger version of yoshima and our ghost look very similar right like they're both. They both. There's another the reason hair. I don't really think you ever see her face. Exactly, except for when she's a goo child. She does have a face when she's a goo child. Well, yeah, but the face <laughs> is a goo child face, you know. So like, so I mean, th- that to me just speaks further to like, I think it's her. Yeah. You know, I do think it's her because, and who knows? Like maybe, like maybe. Uh, <laughs> I like how we got like conspiracy <laughs> theorists on this shit. Like, who knows? Like maybe Yoshimi. You know, that, that flashback that we see of Mitsuko walking home and then drowning? Mm-hmm. Maybe that was Yoshimi. Maybe Yoshimi walked home because nobody ever came to get her. And maybe she drowned in the goddamn building. And maybe as she is sitting there trying to, like, swim and survive and drowning in this fucking tank, maybe that's what's going on in her head is this story. And maybe that's why there's so much fucking water involved, you know? So- <laughs> now my brain is starting to hurt. <laughs> Yeah, good. <laughs> good. I'm glad your brain hurts. <laughs> but look, I mean, obviously, like, that's a stretch. You know, mm-hmm. with, there, there, it, it's it's just a fun read of the movie. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that that's factual, but but regardless of any of that, Mitsuko and Yoshimi are definitely the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that what I get out of that ending in particular is that it's really hard to break out of cycles. It's really hard to break out of certain cycles and mind frames of stuff. You know, I think that you're right in the fact that the ghost does represent the mom and what she's going through in that shitty little voice. And I think a large chunk of this movie is showing, you know, this is all the pressure that these women and these single moms are under. Um, And especially if you have the trauma of being abandoned by your mom before you. You know, it's going to be really hard for you to break out of that negative cycle to feel like you're providing for your daughter the life you think she deserves. Mm. Um, And that that's kind of my takeaway from it is that she wants to make sure she wants what's best for her daughter. And in that moment, she doesn't know if she is it. And it breaks my heart because she absolutely is. She's an amazing mom. Well, and I'm going to go punch <laughs> that ghost in the face. Well, I, too. Mean that, well, I mean, that's the sadness of depression, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, people who are depressed, like all of us can look for from the outside and say no you're fine like you have yeah. no reason to be depressed you're this great person blah blah whatever but the but the depressed person doesn't hear that mm-hmm. they only they only hear you know the thoughts that are that are bringing them down like it, it's up to them to kind of you know begin listening to the other voices right yeah. instead of the one that's kind of bringing them down so i mean that's the tragedy of it like mm-hmm. like because i agree like i you know yoshimi is a great parent in this movie yeah. and and i mean she's like a superstar you know but but unfortunately, she just has that voice in her, this little fucking Mitsuko ghost, <laughs> who who will not let her accept that. Fucking so, bitch. <laughs> yeah, fucking little bitch girl. Yeah. Like. <laughs> you know, I think for me, that's why it's meaningful to have the moment with the daughter in the end. I like having that moment where, you know, Ikiko isn't mad at her mom she has every right to be mad at her mom she has every right but i feel like that's the moment that we're seeing that this cycle is going to be broken that akiko understands that her mom may not have made the choice that she wanted her to make but did it out of love and trying to protect her and give her a better life and it's tragic and it's sad but i'm glad that we kind of got that like I get it, Mom. I still love you. She's willing to live in that decrepit building with her mom. Like, that is a dedicated daughter. Yeah, I love my mom. I wouldn't do that, though. No, that place looks <laughs> like a shithole. It's been abandoned for years. Yeah, no thanks. Um, But, all right, so we got to start wrapping up. So, who's your killer idiot of Dark Water? It's a fucking apartment manager. Do your goddamn job, dude. Idiot. 
Yeah, fuck that. It's the father. How, how do you not even remember your own bu- your own daughter's birthday? Like, fuck this guy. <laughs> fucking moron. Yeah, he fucking sucks. You know, you, you, you have the gift of having a child and you can't even remember their fucking birthday? Fuck you. Piece of shit. <laughs> now, now there, there's only one death in this movie, technically, you know, Yoshimi's. Mm. So so instead of our killer death, we're going to do killer scares. So what is your... What is, what is a scary moment that stood out to you in Dark Water? Look, I'm a basic bitch, so it's when the goo baby's revealed. Yeah, that's mine too. I mean, oh. come on, like like goo baby, goo you baby. know, reaching its hands out and screaming at Yoshimi, mama, <laughs> like that's that's pretty creepy shit. <laughs> well, and you have like the the heartbreak moment right before that because there's this great tension of the door, like she's in the elevator trying to protect her kid. The door to the apartment is slowly opening. And then the actual kid comes out, and it's it's just framed up so well, and I love it, and it gets me every time. Yeah, well, another another fun metaphor writing bit because I always love just pointing the shit out to my fucking dork. Um, <laughs> is that is that yeah, you know, I mean, another moment or, or another reason that I love that moment is that you know, again, I think that in that in that brief moment that we're seeing creepy goo child. Obviously, creepy goo child looks that way because it's been fucking in a water tank forever, right? Yep. But but metaphorically, I think creepy goo child is a creepy goo child because, you know, it's representative of, like, Yoshimi's fear of motherhood, you know? Mm -hmm. And this this concept of, like, as much as she loves her child, there's a darkness there that, you know, to her, you know, maybe maybe having a child is kind of like this, this pressure... Uh, of taking care of this demon baby, right? Yep. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like obviously she doesn't look at Ikuko as a demon baby, mm-hmm. but but you know more so just the fact that like her fear of her is represented in this goo baby way, right? Yeah. Her fear of fucking up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. What about your killer MVP of Dark Water? Uh, so for me, that goes to Rio Kano, who's the girl who plays Ikuko when she's a child. Because look, that child actor like went through so much shit. That girl had so much water poured on her. She had to stand in front of an elevator that shining blood hurt, blooded her. I don't know the verb for that. Um, well, it, it shining blooded her, but with water. So. But with water. But look, like that actress, like she stepped up, and I feel like she did a really good job. So like, props to the kid actor. Yeah, no, I mean, Rio's great in this movie. Like, any any small child that can elicit that kind of emotion in a movie, I gotta give them props, because I usually am not a big fan <laughs> of kid actors, <laughs> especially in horror. Um, but but Rio does a great job, I totally agree. For me, it's gonna go to Hitomi Kuroki as Yoshimi, though, just because, you know, to me, she, she is the central figure of this movie. She carries the movie. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's one of those things of, like, I think I think there's a disconnect with foreign films sometimes between an American audience and I, I mean frankly like any country you're in there's gonna be a disconnect of foreign films right because you don't understand the language you're reading subtitles you know and so I, I've always found there's an interesting there's an interesting sort of sense of like the you know we always we don't always get the perspective on the performances that we would with you know, with with a language that we understand, right? Yeah. Uh, because when you because when you're not reading subtitles, you're paying more attention to the performance itself. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm getting at is, you know, in Dark Water, I just think that Hitomi Kuroki, you know, it's it's the moments that we're not seeing her speak that that stand out to me, where where there isn't that disconnect, and I can just watch her performance, and she does a really great job of like, you know, at times kind of revealing the the sadness of her character but then also like you she feels like a mom that's trying her best to to put on a good face despite what she's going Mm -hmm. through right you know like she constantly carries that so to me she's the mvp because she she keeps a consistent emotion throughout the movie that just has you so deeply on her side (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know that that when you hit that ending it's just God, is it heartbreaking, <laughs> you know, because she I really do think that she just does such a great job of getting you to understand and feel for that character that when the ending happens, you're just like, this can't be happening, you know? Yeah, <laughs> this is one of the few movies that I just want to dive through the screen and change everything. Yeah. Like, I want to kick all those guys asses. I'm going to be her friend. I'm going to help support her because she deserves better. Yeah, it, it is really too bad. Um, 
But all right, so that's going to do it for us on Dark Waters. So we're going to be moving into our Patreon content now where we're going to talk about uh, this concept of Yoshimi kind of losing her mind over editing graphic novels. You know, not not graphic novels as in like manga, but graphic novels as in like disturbing novels, right? So, yep. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the concept of that and, and what we think of, you know, someone losing their mind over that stuff, as well as our thoughts on the fact that Mitsuko is kind of represented by this small red creepy bag, right? So, <laughs> which which we actually do have some thoughts on that go beyond how creepy it is. Uh, so if you want to hear that, just go to uh, patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic for just a dollar a month to get access to all of our additional bonus content. I also want to give a shout out to our killer members on Patreon, Ben Scouten, Michael Campbell, Martin Achetta, Seth Vermont, Kelsey Lynn, and John Reed Adams. Just thank you so much for your support and all you do for us. Uh, next week, we're going to be wrapping up our ghost and jay horror theme with of course the classic renu we can't not. Uh, another hideo nakata movie uh, so, <laughs> yeah we, we can't not talk about that one during this month uh so keep an eye out for that and otherwise i'm matt and i'm chris and have a good night horror fans bye i hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of killer horror critic if you'd like to scream with us some more please subscribe on itunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.